What you're going to learn about yourself is where your energy belongs and where it doesn't belong. I'm here to figure out what you need to know about you so that you know how to use your energy in the most efficient way possible so I can get you extra time, extra money, extra space so you can actually enjoy the things that you think you're working so hard for. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman Podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I am the founder and CEO of this business called the Unstoppable Woman and your host here on the podcast. And today I am super excited to bring to you a woman that I have gotten to know over the last few months. Her name is Sam Zagger, and she is my human design specialist. She is someone that I have discovered through another colleague of mine, really my my business bestie, if you will, uh, turned me on to her. And I was like, what is this human design thing you've been talking to me about for really like a year? And it was an intriguing world that I had entered in and I dabbled in it and I looked at things on YouTube and I read books and I got my my app on my phone and I I did this thing and I actually had worked with uh another person uh maybe a year or two ago and did a really deep dive and it was fascinating but I had no idea how to apply this maybe I wasn't ready or maybe it was not the kind of way I could receive. I'm going with the third option, which is that Sam is freaking brilliant at communicating this information. So I want you to know that I'm bringing her on the show because the human design system for understanding who you are in this world has really helped me in my personal life, but also more apropos to this podcast to my business life. And I've had a number of private clients that I've introduced her to and had her work with where I've focused the conversation on what I think that is really stopping them to see what human design would help guide them on and give a perspective on. Side note, in preparation for everything that we're going to talk about in this episode, you may want to get your body graph for yourself. So you know who you are from a human design perspective. The best place to do that is to go to jovianarchive.com. So that's J-O-V-I-A-N archive.com. And you can get a free body graph. It's a great resource. If you do that and then listen to our conversation, things will make much more sense. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Super good to have you here. Thank you for having me. And I like the fact that we already have a very comfortable, like we're a very conversational, we're in a conversational place in our relationship. To me, it's like, it's almost like we're just hanging out. We're going to shoot, you know, and things are going to get personal. They're going to get interesting. And more than anything, I'm quite intrigued to know, well, really what, 
what you want your people to know about. I want them to know about human design. Okay. So everyone, okay. We're going to pull back the curtain. What Sam just did there was no Amira, you're not going to interview me. I'm going <laughs> to interview you because you, right. Because she knows that I am a generator, which we'll get to that in a moment. But as a generator, I'm responsive. So this was a really big uh, aha for me. I knew it, but I didn't know it intellectually. I didn't have the words for it or the frame up for it. But when I got this recognition that part of my design, how I'm designed to function correctly and well in this world is to respond And that can be responding to situations, to ideas, to people. But what's super useful in my business is when my team asks me questions and I can respond to it. So she's like, "Uh -uh, you're a generator. I'm going to ask you questions. Okay. But Sam, I'm going to put put a pause on that because I want to actually pull things out of you as well. So I thought a good way to do this is to read your bio. And I think that most people will be like, if they've never heard of human design, be like, what the heck does that mean? Mm -hmm. And even those who know human design, there's a depth in what this means that I think we can pull out. So what I'd like to do is read the few sentences here and then go back and start at the beginning and ask you to describe what each of this this means, okay? Samantha is a successful 3-6 splenic projector who guides others to know themselves through the system of human design. Whether you're a generator creating satisfaction a manifester seeking peace, a projector on the path to success, or a reflector being surprised, Sam provides educational guidance that's meant to support you in the pursuit of your signature. All of us have the possibility of living your signature life. Do you know how to live yours? Okay, so let's start from the beginning because if I had never like dabbled in human design, I would have no idea what this freaking means. So first it says, Sam is a successful 3-6 splenic projector. What does 3-6 mean? What does splenic mean? What does projector mean? It's like once you get your body graph, there are thousands of pieces in the body graph that you could grab as a part of your label. But there are two parts of the body graph that we okay, all wait, 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 wait. Right you have to stop right there. Sorry to talk over you. Body no one's going to know what a, what a body graph is. Start I know I that. love this. And when I, okay, my mom, also emotional generator, I'll start to talk like this. And she's like, but we don't know what the body graph is. And I'm like, but aren't you curious to go look it up now? Like, what is this human design body graph, right? More than anything. I'm not necessarily someone who's going to have like the answer. Giving someone the answer is never my favorite thing. It's more like give them the thing to get the right question. There's a path of, of discovery happening here. So your body graph is basically the map that you get that is a visual representation of a mathematical equation that re- represents your incarnation. You existing on the planet. It's we took one crystal. It gave us information. We took another crystal. It gave us information. We overlaid these two things and together we get a mathematical equation. That's you. I'm going to interrupt because yeah. people are going to meet crystals. What the frickity frick are you talking about? So this is a part personally of 
human design that if I had heard at the get-go, I would have rolled my eyes and been like, see ya, that's not for me. That's too freaking woo. Luckily, fortunately, my friend just started talking about other details and what it meant to her and how I was showing up. And she did this thing. And it was fascinating because we all love personality tests, right? We, we, we were like, we all are drawn to knowing who we are. And so I did not know anything about this, these crystals. And they also, they still kind of like trip me out. But what I did recognize was that there was so much truth in what was being presented to me that I could put aside any kind of judgment about the viability of this or the possibility of this and just be astounded by the accuracy of what was being presented back to me. Everyone who who is like a woo, but not that woo to like understand this. Okay. This is a really good point to bring up because when it comes to understanding the academics behind human design, almost nobody is going to be here for the really technical nitty gritty sciencey stuff. Most people go, what does this mean for my life? And projectors, we've only been around, we're the newest type. We've only been around since 1781. We are here ultimately to help generators know themselves. So there's a part in the bio about guiding others to know themselves. And other ultimately is the generator, the sacral being, because they're the ones who are here to know themselves. In order for me to guide you, the generator, to know yourself, it's my job to know the back end of how everything works. And if you have no response to it, that would be exactly what I would expect. And the funny thing for me is I relate a lot of woo stuff to astrology stuff and I'm atrocious with astrology. It is not my jam and it is not how I came into human design. It's way too archetypal for me. The reason I liked design was because it took things that felt like it could kind of apply to everybody and it made it so specific to the point where it's you or it's not you, like it can't be somebody else. And so it is the study of quantum physics that really got me into design, because if you understand neutrinos, the subatomic particles that come through the sun, the neutrino is the thing that's going through those two crystals we talked about. And really what comes, if you shine a laser beam at a crystal, you get a rainbow on the other side. It changes how it looks. It goes in, it changes, it comes out another way. And so as a neutrino stream enters you, you experience something very differently based on the crystals that you are made up of. Now, all of how the mechanics work isn't super important. What's super important is learning how to use those mechanics to guide the people that we're here to guide. So the generators. So that's super interesting to me. So one, I probably alienated all the projectors by saying, oh, we're not going to dive into the stuff, the, the <laughs> details, because I just want the, the outcome. But you know what was interesting about that, Sam, was you explaining it from the quantum physics perspective rather than the shorthand version of crystals like made me go oh that makes much more sense now that feels more um concrete and uh, masculine there would be way more men in human design if we started with the conversation of quantum physics and subatomic particles but women get into the converse and i'm not trying to like i'm just looking at my own analytics, 90% women, 10% men. That is standard for the human design world. But if you're a man in the human design industry, you're probably more academic 
than a lot of the women that are in it. A lot of men tend to go through the more concretized sciences. And because of that, they actually tend to get way more respect a lot faster in our industry. It It's used very quickly with graphics on Instagram. It's grown with like little tiny graphics on Instagram. And because of that, things are being very reduced to like bite size, visually attractive things, but we're not exposing people to like the massiveness that there are multiple PhD degrees you can get within the science of human design. But most people don't even know that those exist because the core of what we're here to talk about is, do you want to do this? Uh Uh-huh. Or uh uh-uh. Okay. Now do that or don't do that. And that is, that is really what human design is for, but we just have to have all of this background in order to actualize it. So that's really interesting. So what I heard there was there's, you actually came you were interested in it from this very academic perspective. And I think that's what makes you so good at what you do, because you do have that academic perspective. You have the depth, but then you have the also the ability to translate it. And I think my challenge with the first person that I worked with, who happened to be a man, I didn't like make that a, a distinction, but I didn't know how to translate it into my life. There was no application for me. So what of the three, six splenic projector that you are allows you to so well be able to take this very detailed science, if you will, and make it so that I personally and others can apply it in our lives. Okay. So this is the coolest thing. I have one channel. So in order to have definition, have something in your body graph where you call yourself a type, you have channels in you. I have one channel. It is attached to my spleen, which makes me a splenic projector. But the one channel is called the channel of surrender. And how to describe that channel is called a design of a transmitter. And so when you say that the way that I translate it from this thing to this thing helps you understand That is actually the core of what I am created for. Give me one thing and give me people that need it explained to them differently. It's like you input the information to me and I transmit it into the language that the other person needs it brought out for them. Now, the three, six part of my design being a three, that first number, whatever the first number is, is how your personality identifies. So a three, six my personality identifies as a three. And three is symbolic of a trial and error life. We learn the hard way. We learn hands-on because we're here to learn what doesn't work. And so while I go through my own experiment of human design, as in they tell me this is what I am, they tell me this is how it works. They tell me these are the mechanics. I don't just believe things because people told me that. I'm Well, I'm a little too old and a little too beat up by the world to just believe those things. And so I go, let me test this. Hence, like one of my big hashtags is this is my experiment. This is my human design experiment. I'm I'm in mine. But because I'd say trial and error, I learn what doesn't work in human design very quickly. I learn what's not going to work for my mechanics. Now, if I don't have shame, if I'm willing to actually share with the world what has gone wrong according to my experiment and how I learned from that. Well, one, it makes me very approachable. It makes me very relatable. I'm not coming to this saying, I've done a great job. I'm perfect. And now here's how to do what I did in order to be perfect. I'm going, don't do what I did. Just watch me. Watch me screw it up so you don't have to. 
let's use that as a, as a example of how you and I are different. Okay. Uh So that's part, your trial and error, you're putting it out there. That's, that's part of your personality. We'll get to your six in a moment. I was just called out by a client saying that she didn't see, uh, the, I don't know the words that she used exactly, but she wanted to see more of my mess. Okay. And less of my, my after story. And I feel like I share that in, in my office hours and in my coaching and the closer people are, the more they see, uh, who, you know, the details of that, it's all who I am. It's never a, um, a lie, like a, a, a pre- pretty eyesed version. It's just, you get to see a certain amount, the closer you get to me. And that's very different than I'm going to expose all my trial and error to the world. Correct? I like how you said the closer they get to you, because when I'm, I'm, so I'm a three, six identifies the three personality wise, you're a two, four. So your personality is a second line personality. And what a second line personality is, is closed off from the rest of the world. We consider you to be naturally gifted. You're a genius in very specific things. There are things that you're born to be so great at, but because you're naturally great at them, it comes easy to you. You can't explain how you did it. You can't explain how other people do it because your way is your way. And so when you said they have to get close enough to me, the two is someone who is very, very private. As in, it's not that you don't have messes, but somebody has to be close enough to you that they would be in your space, in your zone. And then it's like um, beyond the barrier. They're within your barrier. And so when you somebody is accepted in your life in that kind of way, they're allowed to see those things about you. But you also don't have a trial and error messy learning process like a third line does. So there isn't as much mess to watch. And whatever mess you do have is reserved for the people that you like you have a very, 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 very deep trust with. If anybody sees your mess, like these people are, and so now your fourth line comes in, these people are basically sworn to secrecy about who you are. Like your inner circle is a very desirable place for people to get to. It naturally has like like a VIP kind of quality to it. Like you don't let just anybody in. And it's also, it can be a bit hard to keep your seat in there. Like these are very high caliber people that you let close to you. Otherwise stay at arm's length. That's a hundred percent correct. The only thing that I would add a little nuance to is that trial and error piece. Like when I was working through understanding the laws of success, when I was working through changing my thinking so that I could think accurately, I I put it on the field of play. Like I had to test it out. Like you were talking about testing out life, right? So do you see the nuance there? I feel like I tested it out, but maybe I don't test it out the way a a three line. (laughs) The way that a three does. I like we, the three is designed to crash or be oblivious to the thing in front of it. Like I am literally told that if I'm going to meet someone in a romantic relationship. I'm a, I'm your classic meet cute story. You know, like I turn the corner and I smash my juice into the person's chest and I wreck their outfit. 
that's a third line meeting because you you literally bump into the life that's for you. Okay, now let's talk about the six, the less conscious. That side of me hates the other side of me. Okay, there are only six numbers. One, two, three, four, five, six, but they go from bottom to top. Now, six is on the very top. And so what we call six is, is on the roof. It's like it's been through all of these bottom phases and it's now almost retired on the roof, kind of watching everything else happening below. And so there is this aspect of me that has this very messy trial and error learning phase. And then there's this other side of me that is literally its opposite where I'm a perfectionist. I'm an optimist. I'm standing back, like waiting. It's, uh, there's a, like, I want to, I want to figure it out. I want to be the role model. I want to finally mature. I want to finally, you know, there's this part of me that's like, you can do it. You can do it. Trip and stumble. You can do it. You can mm. do it. Trip and stumble. And so mm. I have to have, you, you got to love yourself. You have to have a lot of compassion, compassion. I have to have a lot of compassion for myself that, well, half of me is always driven to finally get it right. I'm never going to be able to get rid of this side of me that goes, you're never going to get it right the first time though. Just don't yeah. expect it to happen the first time and probably not the second time, which is how I developed a phrase, third line's the charm, which is oh, that's eventually great. we figure it out. You gave me a, a really good analogy around the car and the driver. And can, can, you, can you speak to that a little bit? Is this passenger consciousness what it is to yes. Yeah. Okay. This yeah. is where people start to really have a little bit of, they understand what we're talking about, but they also start to have quite a bit of, of resistance. And so when we talked about those two crystals earlier, one of them represents your body. One of them represents your personality or the way that you think about your life. One is very physical. One has the ability to identify with itself in this physical life. And so part of what we want people to understand with passenger consciousness, you become aware at some point that your, your life is happening. You don't have a lot of say in what's going on. You have this vehicle, we call your body, your vehicle. You have this thing that is meant to transport your consciousness around in this lifetime, but you don't get to control as much as we would like to. I'm pretty sure we don't even think we can control that much. We just really want to control a lot. And so there's this element of surrender in passenger consciousness where you kind of, you wake up to who you are in this a little bit of attached way where you surrender to where you're going. Because authority is the thing that we haven't, it's almost hard to have this conversation without having touched on authority too much because there's this question of like, what is driving the car? And so each of us has something called authority. The most basic tenets. Let me, let me pause you there for one second. I'm going to translate and, and see if I understand this correctly. Okay. So we have this design and there's this authority. Mm-hmm. And if we, there's nothing we can freaking do about that. Mm-hmm. It just is. Mm-hmm. Although if we're unaware of it, we keep, trying to push and be like how we're conditioned in this world to be, how we were brought up to be, how society says you need to be like this versus like this. And there's probably a gazillion different examples that you can give us of that. I'm waiting for that. Um, But if we just surrender to the fact that we weren't designed 
to behave in that way. We were designed to behave in this way. We would do much better than if we kept pushing up against it. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the more you use an actual literal car analogy, the more that people have something concrete that they can visualize. And so part of what I want you to think is, let's make you a sports car. You're a sports car and it's a Tesla sports car and it is self-driven. I'm a pickup truck, but I'm also a self-driven Tesla pickup truck because the self-driven part is important here. As in your vehicle is smart enough to drive itself. It has its own navigation system. And part of that navigation system is an authority. So your sports car has a thing that makes it make decisions. And my pickup truck has a thing that makes it make decisions. Now, I come to consciousness trapped inside this vehicle. I am locked inside my Tesla pickup truck and I can't get out and I can't tell it where to go. So as I'm driving along, the first thing that happens is I look out the window and I see that there are other cars on the road and they don't look like the car that I'm in. So my first question is, why does my car look different from everybody else's? And we are also taught that we have control and we can do things about our situation, whatever it is, no matter how you you can change how you look, you can change how you sound, you can change your circumstance, you can, ch- you can change lots about yourself now. And so there is kind of this, you start to question why you're not what everybody else is. And you know, suddenly your sports car goes way faster than mine, but mine can go through puddles that yours can't. And it's like, well, how do I change my sports car to go through puddles? And how do I do? And at some point you realize you've wasted a lot of your energy just freaking out in the backseat of a car. At any point, you could have stopped freaking out and sat back and realized something is taking you throughout your life and you don't have to do a damn thing about it. You could literally just go for the ride. It's going to protect you. It's going to take you exactly where you're supposed to go. I even gave you a thing. I'm taking you exactly where you want to go. Just relax and let me take you there. But you're still freaking out in the backseat of the car because you don't know why theirs is different or where they're going or should we all go to the same place or should we... And we end up caring about all of these really stupid things that get in our way and block us from getting where we need to go if we just let the car do its thing. Yeah. So relax and enjoy the ride. Literally. Yeah. So good. Okay. So talk to the audience about the difference between you being a splenic authority. Do I have that correct? Mm -hmm. And me being emotional authority. Okay. So each body graph has nine centers as a possibility for humans. We are all looking at nine centers. Now, if the center appears white or clear, there is no definition there. If the center is colored in, then there's definition there. And so one of the centers is called the spleen. That's one of the authority centers. One of the centers is called the solar plexus. It's also an authority center. You have a colored in solar plexus. On my body graph, the solar plexus looks white or clear, so there's no definition there. I'm not emotionally defined. Whereas on your body graph, you have no spleen, no splenic awareness. Whereas I do, I bring splenic awareness. And ultimately, I'm survival in the now, awareness in the now, very present moment and only present moment. Your awareness in a wave, as in like, here's the thing, I gain awareness here and here and here and here, and you have significantly more big picture awareness than I do. I'm only- I'm going to pause you for one for one second. For those of you who are listening just to the audio, she had uh, like her finger indicating a 
central pole and her other hand going around that in, in a circle, gaining more awareness as it circled around the center of, of the being. And ultimately it's, it's time. Time is a very different concept for you and I, to me, everything is spontaneous. Everything is moment to moment. Everything is now. Whereas for you, time is more fickle. There's more depth. There's more, there's a lot more emphasis. You need more time to make a decision. The more spontaneous you try and be, the more erratic and incorrect your decisions will look like. Whereas if we give you lots of time to make your decisions, you're going to make, it's weird to say things like good or better because what really defines that? But every type, so your generator arm projector has a not self theme. And if you're not making decisions according to your authority, what you're going to feel is your not self theme. So for you, that's frustration. If the generator is not making decisions according to their authority, you're going to be frustrated. And if I make decisions out of my authority, I'm going to get bitter. So that's that's a really great uh, indicator. I want to go back to that in a moment, but I also want to talk a little bit about decisions because I teach, and this is a place where Sam and I kind of had a little bit of a push-pull. I teach like make quick decisions because what I see so often are people overthinking. we're, We're trained to I believe we're conditioned to have a lot of fear about making mistakes and that hinders women in business from making, just make a freaking decision, get the response from it. And you can keep making the next decision and, and move forward. You will ultimately do better than if you sit in analysis paralysis and be afraid to, to act. And so I, I contemplated what Sam was sharing about emotional authority because everything else was feeling really spot on. But I'm like, I make pretty quick decisions. What is that? Well, the longer I kind of contemplated and played with this and, 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 you know, took it in as a possibility, the more I realized that when I'm emotionally clear, I make a, I make a decision like a splenic authority. Like it's very like, oh, that's a yes. And that's my generators self. Generators respond. They have a very clear yes and no response. I happen to have trained myself through this mental frame of make a quick decision to start tapping into this alternative way of knowing whether it's a yes or a no, which is very much a uh, a sacral response, a, 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 like I just get a yes, no, and I'm very tapped into that. And I've trained myself to, to have that nuance, not in through the lens of human design. That's the lens I'm putting on it now, but through my own work, I've trained myself, I've calibrated to that very, very clearly so that I can make quick decisions on the things that I am a clear yes and a clear no to. There are other things in my business where I'm circling, right? Mm-hmm. Or going through my emotional wave where I was just having a conversation with Ariana, who's who's a, a key player in the business. And she was like, I think it just would be easier if we knew this. And it was like something around the business model that I'm still working out. And I was like, yeah, 
I have in the past made quick decisions on that and then it hasn't landed. So I'm like in, in three months, I will have to redo it. Did it, did it work? Yes. Am I willing to do that right now? No, because I know I just need a little bit more time to let that land. So I think there's a distinction for people that it's not like you always have to take a lot of time. That's what I came to. Like, if you know your response is a yes, it can be a very quick decision. My man's a generator also with emotional authority. And uh, he's like, I make quick decisions. I don't get this. And, and so this is where I've gotten to with it, that it's not decisions across the board. It's, it's when you're not at that 70, 80% clarity, you need to let yourself have more time. If we don't give people, if we only say the word time, but we don't actually attach a measurement to it, people really don't know how to feel. They're like, what's a lot of time? What's a little time? How dangerous is it to be spontaneous? How bad will these decisions turn out? And so they're so this is my experiment. So we all have to experiment with the information. So I really love that there actually are no, there are no concrete things. Like I would never tell someone with emotional authority, you have to wait 72 hours to make a decision because emotional authority is one component of many components of your design. And like you said, if you're in a place where like you are in a good, you have good clarity already. Some of your decisions can be very quick. And I think that it is correct for some emotional decisions to be very fast if you've already been thinking about it for a while or circling around the thing or you, like there are so many factors that are going to affect this. A lot of the times when I'm talking to people like your audience will be very new to human design. And so I think, how, how do I make this like the first bite out of knowing about their emotional authority that makes it valuable to them? And for that, I think about my mom. My mom is an emotional generator very same similar channels to you she's got the beach she's got mating and for my mom she works in sales and she was conditioned to think that like the the time clock running out on a sale like it well if i don't get it it's gone if i don't get it it's gone and they use sales especially shopping sales to pressure us to believe that if i don't get it in this amount of time it's gone and i've lost out and so the first thing i want emotional people to think is if you lose something or lose access to something because you were taking time and it disappeared in that time, it wasn't for you. Don't worry about it. You didn't lose anything. It wasn't for you, something different, something better. So much of what we think we're doing is coming from our mind. But again, this is the vehicle. The vehicle is taking you to the thing that's correct. And so number one, just giving people a breath of fresh air. There's no like immediacy in this emotional authority. There is, if you need time, take it. If you feel like you need time, time is available to you. So how do you speak to, because what I see most people doing, and of course I don't have access initially at least to their human design, but they have a big decision in front of them. Like for instance, a lot of people who, who want to work with me, you know, it's a big, you know, decision to invest in themselves, go forward, time, effort, all of that. And the subconscious comes in and throws up all sorts of chaos around it because 
It's stepping into something hugely more. They want it intellectually. They want it in their heart emotionally, but they're conditioned to think that it's not worth it. They're not worth it. It's, it's, you know, what if they make a mistake? All this conditioning around deciding to do something. And that's where I'm like, you need to make a quick decision and it's quick for different people is different amount of time. But when you go into overthinking, and this is not overfeeling, but overthinking, and I think this is the distinction that I would like to make. When you go into overthinking, then your subconscious can come in and and navigate you back to safe and sane, which keeps you at playing at the same level. Now, I'm not for everyone. I'm not saying that that saying yes to to working with me is the right thing for every single person, but for the person who is emotionally a yes to it, then they need to respond to that rather than like allow, like oftentimes people will say, I need time to think about that. And it's code for, I'm, I'm scared to make a decision. It's not necessarily code for, I need to let my emotional authority become comfortable with um, this and to evaluate whether it's the right thing for me. It's, it's code for I'm scared and I'm not, I don't know how to make a good decision for myself. So I'm not going to make a decision. I'm going to say, I'm going to think about it because that's a culturally acceptable way to get out of making a decision. If you tell someone who doesn't understand what emotional authority is, that they have emotional authority and that they should take time, you definitely open up the possibility that this person doesn't know when to stop thinking. They're like, what is that thing that I'm waiting for that represents my clarity? And they can completely sabotage themselves by overthinking it. And so I'm going to, I'm going to give you the thing to direct them to think about because strategy and authority. So strategy is the precursor to authority. And so by the time you're in a place of having to question a decision, you should be able to look at how this decision became an option for you and where was your strategy involved in that. So if you're a projector, you wait to be invited. If you're a generator, you wait to respond. If you're a manifester, you wait for your own initiation urge to come from the inside of you. And so let's say the question is, am I going to invest in coaching with Amira? So where is my strategy in that? So what I would ask this person the first time is, how do you know who Amira is? Well, I saw her on this thingy. Ah, so did you have a response to seeing her because she came into your external world and you were able to feel something? Okay. Did you go, ooh, and did you want to get close to her? Yeah, I did. Do you want to get even closer to her now? Yeah, I do. Every time you see her, are you drawn to her? Yeah, I am. Would you say that there's a level of like magnetism towards her? Yeah, I want to get closer to her. Does she ever repel you? No, in fact, she hasn't said anything to push me away. I'm like, well, then strategy is saying that all things are lining up pretty well for you right now. So we don't have any resistance. You're not a projector initiating. You're not a generator with an idea trying to initiate your. So if mechanically things came to you in the right way, now your authority actually gets to make a decision. So now you're a projector, so you need to be invited. So bringing this to sales and marketing, because because we've sort of started talking about that. So 
that would lead me to believe that we need to understand all these different types, projectors, generators, reflectors, um, manifestors, and speak in our marketing so that they can all have an appropriate pathway to working with you. So if, for instance, if generators are, did you have a response and there's 70% of the, the world, but projectors need to be invited. I imagine that there's a, a different languaging to in marketing to bring projectors into your world. Yes. In fact, you almost can't market to a projector because you cannot, you can't mass invite anybody. In fact, unless you're speaking directly in a one-to-one relationship with a projector, there is no invitation. In fact, you shouldn't get a projector to talk to you. No one should ever pay attention to you unless you are able to recognize them by their aura, single them out, and invite them into something. And you'll notice- It needs to be individual. Like I could not in a video, in video marketing or in text marketing, be speaking in such a way that it felt intimate, even though it was a one-to-many kind of uh, marketing tool. People try and do this all the time and they fail because what they'll say is, I invite you to listen to, or I invite you to participate in. And I'm like, that's, that's a welcoming. That's not a projector invitation because projector invitation is something that happens with recognition recognized and invited as in you're not going to get invited unless they can recognize that you're a projector who can guide them you don't even involve yourself with a projector unless you want guidance so you recognize them and invite them to guide you but you did it to me in the beginning of the podcast when you're like so you explained it this way over to this way and you were able to transmit this and because you use the word transmit you were recognizing me because I'm a design of a transmitter. So you actually recognized my channel in introducing me to your audience. So that's core recognition for me because you can't say what you said to me to another projector and make it work. It's not recognition for them. It's like you don't turn on our guidance until you you come and you ask for it. Right, right. So how do projectors go about deciding to buy a product or service. Okay. So that's a great nuance. We only need an invitation when it has something to do with being in the other person's aura. So if I want to go buy something, I just go buy whatever I want. So like taking it out of a a service, let's say it is um, a new pair of jeans that you see that you want. There's nothing in that marketing like Let's say there's an ad in a magazine. I'm just making this up as I go, but there's an ad in a magazine and it's this editorial and it has this scene and the woman's wearing these jeans. You're not having a response to that at all. No. And I'm never satisfied. No response means no satisfaction. So how do you know I want those pair of jeans? So this is this is a very interesting thing because what what you have that I don't have is a sacral center. And so I have this hole in me where when a generator walks by, I get to take in their sacral center for a flash second. And when I take you into me, 
I read your energy and I read how you need to be redirected in order to have your own satisfaction. Because what I have to take in, I have to feel. And so most generators are not self. They're in their not self theme, which is frustration. We live in a very frustrated world. 70% is generator, 70% of the planet's population is generator. Most of them are frustrated. So every time I walk past 70% of the planet, I suck this thing into me that goes, oh, they hate their life. Oh, they're depressed. Oh, they don't like their job. Oh, they don't like their person. Oh, they don't. So seven out of 10 people I walk by, that's how I feel. And so part of my role is to take that energy and alchemize it into something where you become satisfied. Now, on a very practical level, when I look at a pair of jeans, I go, what company owns this? What are the wages of most of the workers here? Where does the factory exist that's making these jeans? What's the energy that's being put into these jeans that somebody else is going to be wearing? When you put these jeans on and you respond to yourself in the mirror, how do you feel about yourself? If you work really hard and you spend all of your money on a really high-end pair of jeans and you blow the pocket off of them, you're going to be really frustrated that those were inefficiently made because somebody hired cheap labor and somebody, and so where the projector lives is they run the marketing company, they run the advertising company, they run the factory, they run the, we're behind the scenes, making sure everybody gets, to, we're trying, we're late to the party, 1781 is late to the party, but we're here now trying to turn generators from frustration to satisfaction in whatever way we can. Got it. That is fascinating. So translating this into business, although I hope everyone listening to this podcast is doing it just because it's the right thing to do, but like freaking do the right thing in your business so that the projectors walk past your business, whether it's a product or service or a combination therein and go, oh yeah, that's a yes. Okay. Because they're feeling into it. Now, I think we do, I think many of these types, I know I can feel into businesses, but I don't feel into, I, I feel it as that sacral response. I don't feel it in the same way that, that you feel it. So I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. Let's go back to one thing that you said. You said uh, for generators who are 70% of the, the population, the, the negative emotion that you will feel is frustration. Okay. The positive is satisfaction. So this is like a, a guiding litmus test for projectors. It is, tell me what it is for projectors. Bitterness is our not self. Okay. And that's the negative. Success. Yeah. Success is what we're going for, but okay, human design uses language where you can, you can't necessarily take one word to mean the same in everyday conversation that it does in design. So when I say success, most people hear that and they think financially well off. And then mm. the next thing that they hear is why is that for the projector? Most generators that hear that go, well, what do you mean? Does that mean I don't get to be successful and I'm only working for satisfaction? And honestly, yes, the way that success has been sold to people, that that is the answer. But to the flip side of this is remember that projectors are never satisfied. We have no idea what it is to experience. Like the way that you feel after an orgasm, I'm never going to have that. Oh, I'm so sorry. Exactly. So give me my success. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to need a lot of money to try and find things that I think might be satisfying, you know, but ultimately success is recognition for guiding somebody else's energy towards their signature. 
Okay. So when I hear success, I, I don't necessarily think money first, but I love that you, you brought that up because I have a, a strong stance that we all need to be making good money. But I, I, when I hear success, I hear I was successful at that, that which I was involved in, whatever that looks like. Is it only financial success? Like, well, is it doing it well? Like if you're doing your own video for YouTube, which I know you have a YouTube channel, everyone go check out her YouTube channel. If you, <laughs> if you do a video for YouTube and you, you do it well, you feel successful, correct? I feel successful when I've used my whole design for what I'm designed for. Definitely. However, let's say I did all of this work of making YouTube videos. And YouTube never got big. I never got advertisers. I never got monetized. Nobody ever watched them. So nobody had access to what I was sharing. So they never implemented my guidance in their life. That's not a success for me. Even if it feels good in the moment, it's very short-lived. And you see a lot of projectors work really hard and then crash and then be bitter that they didn't get success from it. And so a lot of this is, you know, one, am I making videos that I'm in a way invited to make videos for. It's not like Sam go on YouTube and make it on the specific topic, but I am invited and recognized within my field of human design. So therefore human design videos are in the vein of where I'm already being successful, but ultimately yeah. success and reputation go hand in hand. If I see myself as a success, I have a reputation where I'm known for my ability to guide the other. So it's not, it's that success is some form of recognition mm -hmm. okay. and that. compensation. Compensation has to be in it. Is that only financial compensation? Energetic compensation. Energetic. So okay. Great. If you're a generator neighbor and you offer to babysit my kid in exchange for me having a session with you, that's an energetic exchange for me. I can do that, but you're giving yeah. me your energy in exchange for my guidance. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Speaking of manifestors. The they're they're uh they will feel peace. That's their positive sign. I, I want to give people places since you can't do their body graph right on the while they're listening, which they everyone should you know run, don't walk. But like, I want you as a listener to think: Is my prime? I mean, we all want success. We all want satisfaction. We all want peace. We all want being surprised. Like this is, these are all positive things, but there is an element that you are going to resonate with more. Okay. So, so on the projector side, it's, it's recognition. It's that's, that's the, the sort of key note. I'm using that differently than how you do Sam of, of, projectors. And when, if you're someone who feels a lot of bitterness, you'll know, okay. Oh, look at that. That's a good litmus test. That's a good directional guidance for me as a generator. It's frustration and satisfaction. That's a great litmus test. Am I feeling satisfied in my business or am I banging my head up against the wall, feeling frustrated about something? Oh, I'm, I'm heading up the wrong, wrong Creek, right? The wrong path for a uh, manifester, it's it's peace. What is the negative emotion that a manifester would feel? Anger. anger. Okay. Anger. So do you have a lot of anger? Okay. Yeah. And really yeah. what that is, is a manifester. And like when we talk about manifesting, the way that most of the world perceives 
manifesting is having a desire and being able to call it into a reality in your life. Whereas when we talk about manifestors in human design, we're talking about people who bring form into reality. Like they build the obstacle course. The generator has to get through the obstacle course and they get through it with the guidance of the projector from overhead telling them which way to go. Do you want to go left? Okay, go left. Do you want to go right? Okay, go right. Like we we do a question and response thing to get the generator to go through the maze. But that maze was built in many ways by the manifester. These are they're a very small 9% of the population and it's motor to throat definition, which really means the power to bring this huge energy into reality. Now, if somebody you've gets also in talked their way, about them as you've also talked about them as initiators, they initiate things, correct? Mm-hmm. So this is like, they're the starting place. There is this very, so when I talked earlier about initiating, like wait, wait for your energy, wait for that urge to create something. So manifest your energy is something that is cyclical, as in a huge burst of energy comes out in order to make something happen, birth something into form, initiate something. But it's almost like, you know, I'm not religious, but the phrase like, you know, God made the world in six days, then he rested. God would be a manifester in this capacity because there's a boom, there's a big bang, there's a here's your world. Now go play in it. Now go figure out how to use this thing. And so the manifestors, they take their peace when they're done. When And it's not, it's not to say that when they're initiating, they can't have peace, but the more resistance they encounter, as in people getting in their way, people making them ask permission, people getting, if you don't give a manifestor the freedom to go create when it's time to create, you're going to have to deal with the anger that comes from that because you're in the way of a big force. And I imagine if you make a manifestor behavior like a generator, like generators are like energizer bunnies in, in a lot of ways. Like if you ask a manifestor to go, 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 then they're going to burn out, right? Because they need that rest. They're, they're cyclical. Yes. I mean, generators burn out too, but, but it's a big different kind of energy. You yeah. just don't ask a manifestor anything. Like if you ask, yeah. when we ask a generator this or that, yes or no, if you ask a manifester that kind of question, hopefully all they do is just walk away from you because how do you handle that in a, in a relationship? Okay. Cause I used to mm-hmm. date a manifester and if you can't go, Hey, where would you like to go on vacation? Or, Hey, where would you like to go for dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what you can like, do is say, Hey. I want you to ask me where I want to go for dinner tonight, because what you've done is inform them in a statement so that they can ask you as the generator. Because if you ask a manifest or something, they don't have any response. They don't have any satisfaction. They're just like a projector, no sacral. So if you ask them something, it doesn't work. And so what it feels like is why did somebody just do something to us that doesn't work? And so ultimately the manifestor and generator have more tension in their relationship than any other type combination, because I do statements and I do questions and we don't communicate. So hence the birth of the projector. So we liaison in between the two of them. How do you know what manifestors like or want? They'll tell you. When they're ready. When they're ready. Okay. (laughs) It's frustration for a generator operating in the world. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And as a, like, I have quite a few manifestors around. It is really hard to, to retrain yourself, to not ask questions. And yet there, there's a sense of peace that comes from not having a questions-based relationship because it is what it is. 
it's almost like there's nothing, nothing to find, nothing to go after. It is what it is. And you'll know when it's anything else. Okay. Let's do reflectors really quickly. And then I want to wrap this up with some, how I'm using it in my business concepts. Okay. Okay. Reflectors are very, very, very rare. And they're very different from everybody else. The beginning of this conversation, when I said a body graph, if it's all white or clear, there's no definition. If it's colored and there is definition, if you're a reflector, you know, because when you look at your body graph, there is nothing colored in none of the shapes are colored in all of the shapes are white or clear or see-through looking transparent because none of the centers are on. And so what that means is that there's no consistent definition inside of them to rely on. And what they are defined by are transits. In particular, they take on the energy of the moon. So while the other three types are solar beings, our sun gate is really important to us. Reflectors are lunar beings. They follow the moon and the moon cycles through all their 64 gates. We all have potential activations in a reflector will sample through all 64 gates over the course of a 28 day lunar cycle. And so basically twice a day, they feel two different ways. And so you ask a reflector, you want to go to Paris in six months. They're going to say, all right, let me hold that question for the next 28 days. And I'm going to feel two different ways about that every single day. And at the end of 28 days, I'm going to know myself in relation to this conversation, and then I'm going to have an answer for you. Fascinating. And if their positive is surprise, what's their negative? Disappointment. Disappointment. Most oh, I think that are disappointed. Oh, that's interesting. So I will say that that would have confused me if I hadn't have done my body graph because I think that. Um, I confused frustration with disappointment. Yeah. Any, anything that you would speak to that? Like when, let me give an example. Like if I'm in my business, I'm doing something, I get frustrated about how things are going down and then I'm disappointed. Someone dropped the ball. I'm disappointed. This marketing initiative didn't work out. I'm disappointed. We didn't make our sales numbers this month, whatever it is, right. There's like a, the frustration reads oftentimes as disappointment and a desire to avoid being disappointed. I think the difference is your disappointment will be in something specific and it's a general feeling of like being let down. Whereas the reflector is really, they're here for the collective. They're not here for themselves. They're not here for the individual. They're not here for a family. They're group beings. Because they're 1% of the population, you can kind of look at it like you put one reflector in a group of 99 other people, that's their people, right? So they're huge collective beings. And what they are, you know how I said, like, I take your sacral in and I feel how you feel about it and I read that? Okay, Mm -hmm. so the reflector has the ability to take people in in every center and see how they feel about that. And so if you put a reflector in a community... And that reflector gets really sick really fast. How healthy do we think the community is? Not Not very healthy. Yeah. Most reflectors are sick. And so most of them are disappointed in the life that they have. What they would really like is for life to surprise them. This whole incarnation to surprise them, to go, whoa, I never thought I'd find my community. I never thought that they'd hear my judgment. I never thought that they'd give me enough time to process things. I thought like the reflectors are really waiting for us to be 
oh, what's the word? What's like a perfect um, society? Utopian utopian society. That's what the reflectors are waiting for. Now, if they have that big of a gift, they have equally that big of a problem. So unfortunately, most reflectors on the planet, you ever watch The Matrix? Okay, Matrix is a really great example of human design. Now in The Matrix, Agent Smith is a reflector because the reflectors are agents of the program until they're awake. As in, there is no stronger homogenizing force than a reflector. Because until they wake up to the truth of who they are, they will try and keep the program intact. And the program wants you to be asleep to your own authority. So reflectors have the highest potential and the hardest time realizing it. Okay. Before I ask my last few questions, I want to share a little bit about how I'm using human design in my business. Um, because I think here, here we've just done, we, we've just touched the tip of the iceberg, a little bit of a windy road. That's how you have to learn human design. Sorry, I wish there was something more straightforward, but it is just like this with a lot of words that seem totally new and confusing. And quite frankly, the, the best way to really un- understand it and its power is to have a a personal session, I would highly recommend Sam, but find someone that you you like and and have someone explain your design to you. Sam has a beautiful way of transmitting and translating and, and giving examples. And it unpacks how you can function in this world. And, and there's nothing that works better than doing it for you personally, rather than this sort of we, we kind of did a generic overview. Sam gave some examples about herself. I gave some examples about me, but it's not going to land unless you do it for yourself. That said, some of the ways I'm using this in my business, I, I've shared a little bit around the, the how I'm making decisions part and the emotional authority. I'm also looking at it in terms of marketing, like how to speak to people and marketing. But Fundamentally, I'm looking at it in terms of team, both the the right people to have on my team and how to help my team help me be an even better CEO of this, you know, and shepherd. I think it's one shepherd of this company and to help them understand their design and to help them understand my design and to help us understand how we need to speak to each other. For instance, Sam shared how a a manifester needs to be interacted with. If I keep asking a manifester a bunch of questions about what they think about the project plan that we've come up with or the initiative that we're doing or this webpage that we've created, they're going to just look at me like I'm, you know, bad, crazy. But if they're allowed to, if I give them the frame, here's what we need to do. And I let them initiate and go do it. And I'm not micromanaging them. They will produce something incredibly powerful, right? You really just have to tell them what you need. The most basic example of this is you ran out of milk. The wrong way to do is, is to say, do you want to go to the grocery store and get us more milk? The right way to say it is we need milk. And they'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, they want they, to they will take do. the initiative. They want to take mm-hmm. the initiative. So you tell them yeah. what initiative you need taken. Yeah, and this is a great example. If you're a generator, 
we think that we want to take the initiative because we're conditioned to, and you will write on your freaking resume. Most of you don't need a resume anymore because you're running your own business. But remember when you wrote, you know, takes initiative, right? Like we put that, like that's a value statement. And what we're really doing is responding quickly to what's put in front of us. Okay. Mm -hmm. We are not going to be the ones taking the big initiative. Now that's huge for, for an, a female entrepreneur. Like we're, we like, if you had told me that I would have been like, you're crazy. This bunch of hooey, because I've taken so much freaking initiative in my business to get it from where it is from, you know, nothing to something there had to be initiative there, but really if you've listened to the podcast for very long, you know that I talk about the breadcrumbs of desire. Like I kept responding to the desire that was in front of me and I kept going, oh yeah, I want that. Oh yeah, I want that. Oh yeah. And I kept moving towards something and that's, I would call that taking initiative pre-human design, but really it was being responsive to what was in front of me. So knowing your design can really help that. And that's how I've been using it in, in the business. And it's been, and it's been great. And I've been using it with some of my private clients as well. And it's helped them see what's not working in their business model. Like I can say it from my perspective, but when human design says it, or, or Sam says it from her perspective, it lands in a different way because they see, they are seen, recognized, understood, felt, whatever you want to call that. And then they can take in this new way. I'm, I'm the seed that I'm putting in front of them, the direction, then they, they get why I keep saying this model doesn't work for you. You need to do this differently. That level of directness doesn't necessarily always land. They need a different avenue and human design can really do that. Okay. That was a lot. Did you have anything you wanted to share in, in response to that? I literally always have so much that I want to say about all of these things, but I think a really, a really good, quick kind of summary of, of the value of human design in particular for your audience is that, especially if they're generators, like I know 70% is going to be automatically generators because you're a second line, we talk about like your natural gift, your natural genius. And I know that the phrase zone of genius is something people are familiar with. We talk about being in your zone of genius. Now, if you're a generator and you can respond, what you're going to learn about yourself is where your energy belongs and where it doesn't belong. And when you stop putting it in the places where it doesn't belong, not only are you more efficient, you have more energy what you're going to start to do is you're going to start to save yourself time. You're going to start to save yourself money. You're going to start to save yourself mental bandwidth about the things that you're thinking of that you don't know how you feel about those things. And so really the projector is the core of how to help you work smarter, not harder. You know, generators are here to work, but they're not here to work shitty, exhausting, frustrating jobs that they don't get anything out of. It's not just- Hallelujah. <laughs> exactly. My job is to ask questions. I'm not here to give you necessarily answers and tell you about yourself. I'm here to figure out what you need to know about you so that you know 
how to use your energy in the most efficient way possible so I can get you extra time, extra money, extra space, extra, so you can actually enjoy the things that you think you're working so hard for. Because one of the things I've realized is a lot of people sell anything related to manifestation in terms of acquiring things. But if you can give people what they think they're after and they don't experience their signature when they get there, they're not happy about what they've just done. They will literally rip the whole business down and start over because they didn't get their signature at the end. So it doesn't matter if you call in the dream partner, the dream house, the dream job. If you're meant to be satisfied, those things better satisfy you. Otherwise, you're going to have to rip it all down and start over again. And so my job is whatever you're trying to build, are we doing it according to what you have a response to, according to what satisfies you, so that when we get to the end, my success is not having to start this whole project over again because you built something on your not self. Totally, 100%. And I think that the way I look at that is like when I'm looking at business models for people and I'm like assessing why it feels like they're hitting a wall. I'm looking at what do they love to do? Like I'm trying to get at that love. What is it that the audience needs that they're working with, the problem that they're solving? What is their what are their rhythms in life? Like how do they best like to work? And I'm putting that all together, finding the sweet spot in that Venn diagram, and then wrapping that all up with, okay, how do we monetize this? Like, what is the actual financial structure for that? These are two very different lenses at how to get at whether it's satisfaction or peace or success, right? Or, or I don't know that surprise is like the reflector is running a business, but like, but like there's, there's, there's a very synergistic way that these two things work. So, okay. Before I share my last reflections, Mm -hmm. can you tell people where they can find you if they want to work with you or just learn more about human design? Where should they go? Okay. So the easiest place and the most personal place is my website, but everything is my name. So if you can spell Sam, S-A-M-Z-A-G-A-R, you'll find me everywhere. So samzagar.com on Instagram, I'm at samzagar and on YouTube, I'm at samzagar human design. My final question for you, what makes you unstoppable? Knowing when not to move forward and never waste time. Well, not never. Oh God, I wish those are my goals. Come on, we can get there. That's your six. That's my six. Literally (laughs) my six is like, we won't waste time in the future. My three is like, we're going to do it a few more times. But ultimately (laughs) what makes me unstoppable? I have a center inside me called an ego. Amira has one too. And it is where willpower comes from. It is a natural part of how both, both of us are built. And there is this, like, there is a willfulness about both of us when our design is on board with what is happening. Like that's part of the power that comes to bat for us. And so my ego quite literally gives me the will to continue on as long as things are aligned for me. But really, I trust in strategy and authority. And by using those two tools from human design, I've made significantly more progress than I ever have without having a plan to make progress. I have no plan to make progress and I'm making it anyway because there isn't resistance in my life like there used to be when I lived the opposite of my design. So to wrap up this interview, I just want to thank you and reflect on a few things that I think you really bring to the table. One we've already talked about, you you have a way of transmitting trans 
translating information from that from a very complicated system. There's so many elements and nuances. And again, we've we've touched just the tip of the iceberg. And I know maybe three inches down that tip. And Sam has so much depth. It's quite amazing. But you, you really have a way of of seeing people and translating the the information that human design has in a way that's palatable and, and useful to people. And I hope people really got that but I I love the the generosity that you demonstrated today and sort of sharing the 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 breadth of your knowledge and going I think just deep enough that we get a sense of the depth without being overwhelmed too terribly much by a very complicated system so thank you for for making it easy and accessible thank and you thank you for being a guest time flies when I talk to you there's my expectation of how long something will be. And then I just like I get in it. And that's that's part of what makes this so attractive to me is like, you know, when they say if you can do something and it's almost like time stands still or you forget, like then you're in your zone. Like when we have these conversations, I don't know what time it is anymore. I'm so happy to just well be utilized exactly for what I'm I, f- I feel like I actually served my purpose. Success. There we go. Okay. There's my success. <laughs> thanks, Mara. Okay. We can end the podcast interview on that. So thanks, Sam. I'm so glad this was a success and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.